coming up on the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. People are coming from all walks of life who are volunteers. We have folks who are teachers and clinicians and artists, folks who are, you know, retired people, again, from all over the, the country. And what makes us similar is that we've all said we're showing up as peers and our peer support is our superpower. Not the fact that we have letters behind our names or that we've had 15 years and doing this or doing that, but like we actually understand what it's like in our own experiences and can have, and from that place of knowing, have some empathy and understanding. You know, one of the bottom lines when we were thinking about bringing on our volunteers was after being in a group interview with this person and listening to their story and seeing how they're listening to others and holding space, do I feel like I can trust this person if I call in and I am out of my mind and, and, and disoriented and, and needing support, do I trust that this person can hold space for me? That's what we're up to. We're holding the space, we're not controlling it. We're just holding it. And, and the impact of that for the person who's experiencing it, I do feel is like a fundamental, it creates a fundamental connection. And that's what we've signed up to do at Fireside Project. Welcome to the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast, a weekly conversation series with leaders in psychedelic culture, designed for therapists, healers, retreat leaders, and passionate enthusiasts. Presented by Maya and hosted by me, Eamon Armstrong. Welcome back to the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Eamon Armstrong. A difficult psychedelic experience once meant a hospital visit or worse. Now, in the spirit of the Zendo Project and other psychedelic peer support organizations, we have a new hotline called the Fireside Project. Call or text 62-FIRESIDE. And there's a lot that psychedelic therapists can learn from leaders like Hanifa Naya Washington and Adam Rubin. On the show, we discuss the influence of ceremonial medicine and legacy psychedelic support organizations in informing Fireside. We talk about the value of community in mental health and how Fireside nurtures their own cohort of volunteers. We review the data from the first 18 days of operation and discuss potential legal issues. Finally, as always, Hanifa and Adam share their advice to psychedelic therapists. Fireside Project co-founder Adam Rubin is a psychedelic harm reduction activist and crisis counselor. He has worked over 45 events around the world since 2015 with many different organizations, including the Zendo Project, White Bird Rock Med, RGX Medical, and Take 3%. He has given trainings to peer support volunteers, local psychedelic communities, and event medical teams. He's also written a series of zines titled the It's Okay Psychedelic Harm Reduction Series and distributes them for free. Hanifa Nayo Washington is Fireside Project's cultivator of beloved community. She is an award-winning cultural producer and the principal organizer and co-founding practitioner of One Village Healing, a wellness and resilience initiative. Hanifa has been combining arts, healing, and activism to make the world a better place for 20-plus years, and in 2017, she released her third album, Mantras for the Revolution. In December 2018, Hanifa received a Phenomenal Woman Arts Award from the Arts Council of Greater New Haven for her contributions and achievements in the arts. So if you're having a difficult psychedelic experience, you can now call or text 62FIRESIDE, that's 
F-I-R-E-S-I-D-E. And if you'd like to get involved, you can go to their website, firesideproject.org, to learn more. And now, here's Adam and Hanifa. Adam, Hanifa, welcome to the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. This is, in fact, our very first podcast that is specifically dealing with psychedelic peer support, which is an enormous aspect of psychedelic healing. It's part of my own background as a volunteer for Zendo. And with what you are both involved in, Fireside, it's going to bring a lot more people into the space of understanding the healing power of psychedelics who may be approaching them recreationally or who may be interested in psychedelic therapy. This may be an access point as a volunteer for people to begin to get involved. So this is a really exciting project and it has only just launched, although I'm told that there's some interesting data from the first 18 days of operation, which we'll talk about today. But this is a very exciting time and I'm just so grateful that you both are here to have a conversation with me today. Thank you so much. It's so wonderful to be with you today. Yeah, thanks for welcoming us and and having us. It is very much my pleasure. So I'd like to start our conversations on the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast with both of your experience in psychedelics. What drew you to psychedelics? What drew you to psychedelics as medicine? Adam, I know that you've been involved in psychedelic peer support for a long time with Zendo, RockMed, other other opportunities to support fellow psychonauts. But Hanifa, let's start with you. How did you get involved in the psychedelic space, both individually and as a community support? Sure. That's an awesome, awesome way to start. So I think like many people, not like all, but here in the, in the States, the States anyway, I came across, you know, recreational use of psychedelics, you know, in college. Sometimes they say that the youth is wasted on the young, and I definitely feel like I, I had amazing experiences when I discovered them at that time, and some things that I've learned along the way. You know, mostly when I kind of was really what I feel like really introduced to psychedelic community and medicine community and ceremonial community was much later in life. You know, in my like late thirties, and this experience of you know coming into ceremony around plant-based medicine, I found to be, you know, totally like life-changing and was really at a point in my life where I had done a lot of inner work and was looking for a teacher and looking for another way or a deeper way to help really alchemize and recalibrate. And therapy wasn't doing it. Meditation wasn't doing it. Wonderful things, still do those things. Um, and it was really through... One of my first ceremonies, you know, with ayahuasca in particular, that I was really able to find what I would call a teacher. And it, it, to me, it, it was it was the medicine, it was the plants. It was this beautiful process by which I could go into my body and come into my body in a way that I hadn't quite before. And in kind of like returning to myself in this full way, was able to, in ceremony, it dropping in, touch the the pain, some of my deepest pain that I was carrying for a long time that I felt like I had um, kind of washed around over time and like I knew where it was and I could write poems about it and I could um, point to it, but actually removing it out of my body and, and clearing the mind was something I just wasn't able to do on my own or with these other modalities. And it was through 
Um, the beginning of that work really happened with, with being in ceremony. And I can remember at one point being in this really like very sad place. And I was like rocking back and forth and I was back as a child and I was like touching my legs. And so there was this trauma in my legs and I could literally feel like as I was massaging my legs, this, I could feel my own love for the first time in a way that I'd never felt before. And I felt this dissipating of this like deep heaviness and pain, like moving from my body. And so after that process, what I didn't know about, honestly, was like there would be integration. And to me, that is really where so much of the work lives. You know, the medicine, when I'm in ceremony, takes you to this place and shines a light there. And then it's, for me, it's been the integrative process that I then remember how to get back there. It shows you a path in and I can continue to work and continue to explore what it is I came to explore. And integration was definitely a part of that. And so integration in a group, but also like my, through my own practices as well, through meditation, through songwriting. And so I, I feel like I feel very lucky um, to have had and continue to develop a, a medicine community and a ceremonial community. And I have, you know, went from doing, you know, a couple of ceremonies right, right in a row to like now, you know, it's like maybe once every two years I might sit in ceremony, but find it uh, central to like who I am today and like how I lead and how I be in the world. So through that, I definitely feel, you know, I've always wanted to just, just, I wanted, I want everybody to have access to it and, and to know that it's there. And I, you know, understand the, the way of being in this world as a black woman, you know, because I am, <laughs> And I, I really feel that there are particular stressors. Um, we now are seeing all types of studies come out around stress, around PTSD, around lineage, around ancestral trauma, how that's carried through. And I feel like, you know, as we've seen this past week or so with all the amazing headlines and news coming out to confirm what many people knew to be true, but now research has shown um, that the psychedelics have wonderful impacts on healing from trauma, from healing from PTSD. And I think of, wow, what a world it would be to have access to these healing modalities for all people, and particularly those who suffer the most, you know, and who have carried uh, a lot in their, in their bodies and hearts because of traumas of this world. And so I'm just, I'm all about helping to create spaces for that. And I do have done that in many different ways in my life. I've started a wellness organization called One Village Healing in 2019. That's BIPOC-led, BIPOC-centered, again, offering free, accessible services, mindfulness, Reiki, meditation, for people to come and drop in and so, so that there's no barrier to be able to release these things from our bodies. And so I, I think about my work with Fireside Project as a continuation of continuing to build these tools so that there's access, continuing to build tools so that people have the ability to to, to process, to integrate, and to also like normalize the relationship and use of psychedelics for, for, for healing, for, for bettering oneself, for, you know, finding community as well. And so the psychedelic peer support line to, to, to me is as great, is an, is an equalizer and it is a tool. And it's one that says, hey, I'm accessible to all people. You just need a phone. You can call or text. So you have choice there. And also, you know, you can 
you know that you never have to be alone during a psychedelic experience and that what, I, what I'm going to say is more importantly, and I know it's the, the whole project is amazing. And the fact that we offer an opportunity for people to connect post psychedelic experience. To me, I think there's a lot of people out here now um, who are having psychedelic experiences that are getting more and more access to psychedelics are curious and don't have the ability to afford a, a psychedelic integrative coach, or they don't know that there's a psychedelic um, <clears throat> integration circle, like in their city or town. And so to know you have a number you can call to, to get that integrative support feels super, super important. And I just, I definitely feel like I am showing up for in the psychedelic space and beyond continuing to create spaces where there's access for all people and that that so that psychedelic experiences can be safe and accessible because I believe in how they've changed my life. And I just want to make that available for as many people as possible and to take any fear and also any barrier out of the accessing the, the, those experiences. Beautiful. What a wonderful arc of a life and, and, you know, the beginning of a life too. So much more to do. And, (laughs) and I'll just note too, that you're also a musician. You're, you know, you're a a Reiki master. You've done all sorts of, all sorts of things. So bringing a lot to the table here and grateful for you and your work. And you bring up something that, um, you know, intentionally entering into ceremony for the sake of healing is such a privilege to be able to sit in ceremony and receive healing. That's not how many people have psychedelic healing often. Often it's, you know, go to a concert, go to a show, maybe with some friends, take a psychedelic and suddenly things are moving that you've kind of held for a long time. You talked about being able to kind of get around a pain, write poetry about a pain, but not get to the pain itself. And then the psychedelics will sometimes take you there whether you like it or not. And there have been these psychedelic peer support programs for, back from the Grateful Dead. I mean, and, and Adam, you've been involved in a lot of them. So, you know, you've been involved in Zendo Project, which I've also volunteered for, and we can talk about a bit today. Also, White Bird, and also RGX Medical. Um, so you've been doing a lot of work in festival culture and in event spaces, doing psychedelic peer support. So, so you've seen a lot of instances where someone is going in to have a good time and things kind of go sideways and they need someone who's been there before to be there with them. And you've been doing this for quite a while. So, so you've seen this transformation firsthand. Tell me a little bit about what that experience has been for you and how did you get involved in that work? Yeah, so, so I mean, my, my initiation into psychedelic experiences was also, you know, unsupervised, unguided. I was, you know, in college, all that stuff was there. And it was kind of a curiosity that turned into something much bigger than that. You know, on, you know, on the baseline, I'm like, Oh, I just want to see like what happens. What's all this, what, what, what kind of things will I hallucinate? What does that mean exactly? And then, and then it just opened up into a much grander experience as I think a lot of folks kind of find themselves like, wow, there's something much bigger going on here. And so after a little bit of time with experimenting, I found myself experiencing my own sort of really intense challenges with psychedelics. And even to the degree, I would say of like spiritual emergency as Stan Groff and Christina Groff coined. And there was a period of time that I had to sort of reintegrate myself into a baseline experience of society and 
and consciousness. So through that whole process, I found that I had to learn how to ground myself, find myself, and trust in this deeper process that was unfolding, which in turn sort of prepared me to be that for others in those states. So there was an aspect of becoming the person I needed when I was lost and afraid and and reality was unraveling. So when when I kind of discovered that, I attended my first Zendo event, which was in 2015. And from that point forward, I really devoted myself to this work, to sort of peer-based support for others who are having psycho-spiritual breakthroughs or breakdowns, however you want to look at it. So with that, I started volunteering at every Zendo event I could. I began meeting more folks in that field. Then I, I started writing material, training material, and then lobbying to festivals that didn't have sanctuary services yet and cre- creating safety systems at events that didn't have them yet, training teams of medical professionals and teams of security professionals at events too. So it was just this very focused devotion to a particular path of service that has unfolded in this way to bring me to where I'm at now at Fireside. And that's also to consider that I was also at the same time training and working as a crisis counselor on a crisis hotline at a crisis center, which is Whitebird up in Oregon. So Fireside seems to really marry the two where we're doing over the phone or text crisis support and focused on psychedelics, which has been my main interest this whole time. So when I first learned about sanctuary services at festivals, and I was like, oh, wow, you can actually help someone when they're in a difficult psychedelic experience. My vision of it was that I was like guiding them across the raging rapids of their mind. And I was this, this, this helpful being that appeared in their vision. And I was going to teach them. And I was going to be so wise. And then I volunteered for Zendo. And I was like, wait, this isn't what you do at all, right? And, and I learned so much about how to show up for others because of that experience of volunteering for Zendo. So it brought a lot into my life. So can you tell me a little bit about why psychedelic peer support requires a specific way of being with another person and what it means to actually sit with someone versus guiding them through their experience? Yeah, well, just to note, like all the things that, all the, like the fantasy of like, ah, yes, I'm going to be this person's shaman. I'm going to be I'm going to give them the answer so that they can surrender into the beauty of whatever. whatever. That's all ego. It's all ego tripping. And that is the, the distinction between what it means to be supportive or not. Like you, like the, the, the real core of it is, is setting your ego aside, doing your inner work, your ego work to be able to sit with someone without getting caught up in this, like, I'm going to help this person and fix this person and all that, all those, those voices in our head. So, so that's, that's the big piece right there. I mean, the reason for that is, is because there's a deeper process, a bigger process going on beyond our intellectual understanding and beyond our desire to control somebody and their experience and their own healing journey. So the more we can get out of the way, the more the journey itself is facilitated. And by facilitated, I mean, becomes 
easier. Like we're, we're creating a, an experience where someone can be with their thing instead of, instead of we're going to like show them the way they have the way unfolding already. And so you'd mm. mentioned, Adam, that there's the Zendo principles and that you've built on them to a certain extent. The Zendo principles has like the four things, like it's pretty straightforward to just sort of list them. Is there something like that that exists for Fireside? So anytime somebody asks me, you know, what do I do for someone who's having a rough psychedelic experience? And I, my response is always trying to like really distill down what the core of all of this stuff is. And really it's about, it's about checking with yourself. Am I grounded? Am I calm? Am I allowing? Am I present? So I, I tend to focus on what qualities am I bringing to this experience as part of this person's setting which to me is, is what this is all about. Then you have the principles that, you know, the four principles which give us a cognitive understanding of how all of this works together. And those four principles are, just for those who aren't aware, the four principles that were coined by the Zendo Project? Yeah, so the Zendo Project's four principles are create a safe space, sitting, not guiding, talking through, not down, and difficult is not the same as bad. So for, for Fireside, you kind of have those cognitive foundations that the Zendo Project laid down. And then there's kind of an additional way of checking in with oneself and a, and a kind of a way of being, which is what you've just outlined. Yeah. And a lot of our training and emphasis is on cultivating qualities of being. You know, so we have, we have kind of a presentations and lectures that give us that cognitive understanding. And then we have practices that uh, cultivate qualities of being and then skill-based exercises that cultivate the skills that we need. So it's a, it's a multifaceted way to basically become that, become that supportive presence rather than know what that supportive presence is. And yet they, they can't just stumble through it on their own. There's a reason why we need someone there. And there's a reason why we need community broadly. And I think something about the Fireside Project is that it also represents kind of a community initiative of volunteers, the idea that that resource is available. Hanifa, can you tell me a little bit about the kind of community component of psychedelic peer support, the reason that having another individual there with your experience, even if they're not trying to guide you, perhaps especially if they're not trying to guide you, is such a powerful part of the healing process? Absolutely. It's been so... Awesome. We've been operating now. Tomorrow will be one month. And we, you know, are already getting some feedback, you know, incoming from folks who have engaged on the on the line. And re- repeatedly, you know, there's this theme of, wow, it's just so amazing to know that someone's someone else is there. So so even if I'm not calling in or even if I've, I've I'm texting in and I'm not the, the the texter isn't responding really rapidly. But just to know that somebody is there for you, holding you in an, in an intention and with the sole purpose to make sure that you're okay, to make sure that you know that you're not alone. It does something to us psychologically to know that we have support, that we're not just floating out in the ether on, on our own, that we're a tether. And so I think, again, you know, not being guides, but honestly being holders and being witnesses 
allows people to be in the fullness of their experience and their own knowing. And I, I think that what's so beautiful too, with this first cohort of volunteers, you know, we had 250 or so people so far have applied to, to be a psychedelic peer support volunteer on the line. And these folks have taken a one-year pledge, a one-year responsibility of being these, what I do feel are very sacred space holders. To say, I'm going to show up every week for four hours for my shift, and whether somebody calls in or texts in or not, I'm going to be here. So we have these community meetings every every week with our volunteers. There's one on Tuesday, one on Wednesday. And it's a time for the volunteers to gather together, to, to learn from each other, to learn what's going on on the different calls or the different texts, to see if there's issues coming up, to see if there are a kind of common thread happening because we're all over, literally all over the world. We have volunteers from overseas as well and different time zones. And so these Tuesday and Wednesday gatherings allow us to learn, you know, learn together and to share information. And what's so powerful is that folks are teaching each other things that they have done on their shift. People are exchanging information. We're all learning and growing at the same speed. The first cohort of volunteers, you know, have done this 36-hour intensive training. And they are, this initial cohort, really, they are laying, like, the foundational fabric of this of this project. And they will be the ones that, as we are bringing on new volunteers who don't go through that longer process, can teach and witness, but also show, model, like, how we are, how we are in community with the folks calling in and with each other. I also feel that, you know, the sense of being a peer, right? People are coming from all walks of life who are volunteers. We have folks who are teachers and clinicians and artists, folks who are, you know, retired people, again, from all over the the country. And what makes us similar is that we've all said we're showing up as peers and our peer support is our superpower, not the fact that we have letters behind our names or that we've had 15 years and doing this or doing that, but like we actually understand what it's like in our own experiences and can have, and from that place of knowing, have some empathy and understanding. We've decided to go through this 36 hour training that really does focus uh, us on being egoless and listening and holding the space for other. And we know, you know, one of the bottom lines when we were thinking about being on our volunteers was, you know, after being in a group interview with this person and listening to their story and seeing how they're listening to others and holding space, do I feel like I can trust this person if I call in and I am out of my mind and, and, and disoriented and, and needing support? Do I trust that this person can hold space for me? And that is, that's what we're up to. We're holding the space, we're not controlling it. We're just holding it. And, and the impact of that for the person who's experiencing it I do feel is like a fundamental, it creates a fundamental connection. And that's what we've signed up to do at Fireside Project. So holding space is such a beautiful thing because what you're doing is you're just creating the safe environment for someone's natural process to move through them. And often those processes can get so stymied and stuck and stilted in our modern world. And so that space holding is huge. Now, the only space holding that I've done has been actually in a physical space. 
And so the work I've done for the Zendo project has been, you know, you create a safe space. There's a safe sort of alcove in the festival that's comfortable and cozy, and you're physically bringing them into a place of safety. And for me, holding space is, I've found for me, it's a lot about modeling my own calm, my own positivity. I breathe noticeably rather than telling them to breathe. I sort of... I'm, I, show, I show my positive presence. And a lot of that for me is nonverbal and it's physical, it's a lot of mirroring. And so I'm wondering how does one apply these principles that, that work very well in person, in a physical space, both the space holding, as I've just described, but also the physical ability to keep someone safe. For example, if they, if they start hurting themselves physically, you're actually there to help them. How do you translate that? onto an audio experience. Obviously, you just have a much narrower way to access people. I'm curious how that translates. And I imagine that you've developed some interesting ways of doing that. Yeah, so um, working on a phone line is definitely limiting in how we are able to hold space. Like when we're in person, there is a lot of communication happening that is nonverbal. It's simply like, you can read my body language or my facial expressions or, you know, depending on how close I am to you or your body or if I can hold your hand even. Like, there's so much more available to us in person. But with the phone line, we we are kind of limited in that that tool belt. But that just means we have to hone the limitation of what we have. We have to hone our ability to to attune and connect with someone using our own ability to read when it's appropriate to start speaking and when it's appropriate to like just allow and and let the the caller initiate a conversation there's a lot of intuition that comes into play there but the premise is still the same we're we're there to cultivate a grounded and connective presence and so how that shows up you know through and and not just that we're, we're we're grounded present we're also allowing and attentive so when someone is having a struggling experience instead of trying to fix it we we would then reflect the acceptance of that struggled moment you know simply by naming it like it's really hard right now you know something something so simple can just allow someone to be in it to the point at which when we are with it it moves on its own so so using reflective listening skills is a, is a high priority that we kind of pe- put people in training through. Reflective listening, validation, normalization, all of those are kind of attached to the tool belt of, of how we connect and stay in the present moment and not let our own agendas get ahead of us. So, you know, it, it's, it's being a loving rock or a mirror, but only being able to use our verbal and auditory tools instead. Hanifa, your title is Cultivator of Beloved Community, which is, first of all, that is a great title. And, and, it, and it speaks to a kind of nurturing way in which the community around this project is, is cared for. And so the collection of volunteers who've joined Fireside Project after this 36 hours. They're a group of peers and they're a group of folks who have committed to a year of working in this way. They also are a community. I imagine it must be very difficult to hold space in this way, particularly when you're not physically able 
to keep someone safe. This is similar to working at like a suicide prevention hotline. It's very, it's very taxing on people. I'm curious how the Fireside Project is supporting the volunteers and really giving them a rich volunteer experience where they're able to learn a lot and also you know, support each other. Well, sure. Yeah, so you know, the, the, the work that I've signed up to do at Fireside Project is, is really about some of the strengths that I, I have and sort of marrying those things together. So yes, the, the title that I hold is the Cultivator of Beloved Community. And Beloved Community comes from where, where I have learned about Beloved Community does come from the work of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And so this is about creating a community of folks who understand the importance of love and also justice. This is about cultivating a community that understands the role of accountability and joy in, in celebrating each other. And that at the center of, of that is our goal for you know, the liberation and, and wellness of, of, of all. And so the work that I do or hold, right, because we all do all types of things and each support each other in different ways, is to be able to support, yes, the volunteers and our staff in their in their wellness, in their also their ability to connect with each other, understanding how this how the work that we send up to do fits in a broader scheme, right, and a broader vision of the liberation of collective healing, of transformational transformational and systems change. And so much of our work within Fireside is about community, like literally, you know, so we would be nothing if we didn't have the volunteers. Fireside Project could not exist. And so, yes, we want to make sure that their experience is one that is meaningful. We want to, we are creating a space where folks then can also show up fully in their knowledge, in their knowing, and in their lived experience. And so, you know, Adam has been had done a, did an amazing job helping to curate the training. You know, we brought in people from kind of all over the the psychedelic um, space. You know, including Chelsea Rose from Zendo Project, uh, including you know Dre and Charlotte from what is now the uh, Ancestor Project. We really believe in the, the strength of community. And so, you know, we have these 40 or so amazing volunteers who do come from different sectors, you know, and different areas. And at our community meetings, for example, you know, they're literally teaching each other. They're literally teaching each other and we create the space for that. So, so much of my work is to be able to say, hey, have we created the space for us to be at our full potential as volunteers, as human beings who've shown up to do this work. So we also put a lot of time and space in our training that was around meditation and mindfulness, about slowing down, also gave a lot of space for breaks because we're putting the human experience first. And so we are creating these spaces with, within our work. We're also um, really believe in the ongoing training of our volunteers. And so providing experiences. So not just this 36 hour training, but throughout their year, you know, they're going to have every month uh, a deepening experience. So tools that they, that they can be learning to be better, you know, volunteers on the line. And also there's a, a pocket of work that they'll be, that they've been introduced to during the training called a culture of belonging, 
And so this is a, a, a series of experiences that I've been cultivating from, you know, years and years of doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work. I'm doing quotation marks around that because I also feel like that work, as it was started, you know, years and years and years ago, that industry is very much based in a colonizer mindset. And so through my own medicine work and through somatic healing work that I've done and, and, and in the body work, I have learned a lot from that field and have begun to pull in some of these other practices, creating a body of work called a culture of belonging. And so this work is about how do we hear each other's stories? How do we become more empathetic? How do we really listen? And then how then do we decide how to use our power you know, in, in the moment and also power share? How do we move into uncomfortable conversations? How do we see where our biases are and then work on breaking those patterns? That work, I feel, Amen is super essential to everybody, you know, and where I sit now with this project, I get to bring that work here. And it's, it's work that I think that should be done in every psychedelic organization and every organization, honestly, just through, throughout the, the world. It's super important to build in time for this inner work to be done collectively because society is showing up everywhere, right? So it's not the world outside just decides not to show up when you come to do your volunteer shift. So it's super important to have space to be looking at our inner worlds and then how that affects how we're showing up on the outside. So that we do feel is, a, is an offering and a gift to our volunteers to have access to that space and that learning. And we also, you know, will be offering, you know, different types of mindfulness and wellness experiences for our volunteers over the course of the year. Folks are from the community are also showing up and say, hey, I want to offer any of the volunteers like a free yoga pass. And we have other like, you know, organizations and vendors wanting to offer, you know, soaps and, and gift certificates and things like this. So we're always looking out for ways to offer some perks to our volunteers as well. But I, I think that essentially, you know, letting be very clear and communicating with our volunteers that that they are powering this, this experience of what is Fireside Project and that their voice is just as essential as any of the folks who helped to found the space. So I'm seeing this beautiful theme running through this whole conversation around getting your own ego out of the way. And I've heard it described in medicine circles as cleaning your own vessel so that you can be there for someone else. And Hanifa, it seems like what you're bringing to the table with this diversity, equity, and inclusion work is really part of that process too, of just cleaning your own vessel, cleaning your own unconscious biases, just kind of cleaning yourself out to meet someone really on their own terms, trusting in their own inner healer, and being present with them, witnessing them, having their human experience. And I really applaud that because often that piece of our ego, of what gets in the way, can kind of not be brought into the conversation in terms of psychedelic support. And you mentioned the Ancestor Project, and I know there's others in the space who are really bringing that front and center. So it's really beautiful to see that the Fireside Project is working to create a more inclusive psychedelic space within the organization. And I think as a model, trying to create a more inclusive psychedelic space more broadly, which I really see in the work that's happening here. I wanted to just also share, Amen, that, you know, we have this very rich inner practice and also like bringing some practices out to be an example to the rest of the psychedelic 
ecosystem to say, here's another way how we can build uh, a more inclusive, uh, a space of belonging in, in, in the psychedelic ecosystem is clearly seeing that like in, in our research spaces, in our, in our therapists, you know, in, in the psychedelic industry, there are much fewer people of color who are holding those positions. There are much fewer folks in research um, who are either conducting the research or who are, who are the folks in the studies who are people of color. There's a, an access issue there. And so we are building a fireside equity fund, and this fund will be for our volunteers who do come from identities who have been made to be marginalized. So for those volunteers who are coming from underrepresented communities in the psychedelic space, we are going to offer a fund where they can apply to receive support to further their education and development in the psychedelic space. So this is one example by which we're saying this is what we as one organization are doing. So to help to create a pathway into this space and to support people financially who are dedicated to, to psychedelic wellness. Mm, that's that's beautiful. And, and you know, that actually touches on one of the things that I was really excited to talk about today, which is the ongoing training and contribution and work of psychedelic peer support volunteers. So as I mentioned, I, I volunteered with the Zendo in 2015, and I've seen folks who volunteered with me go on to prominent positions in important organizations like, of course, MAPS, but also like Sage Institute. You know, there's a lot of people who really got their start in psychedelic peer support who went on to be leaders in the psychedelic community as it stands at the moment, and also a lot of people who went on to become trained therapists. And so a lot of the listeners to this podcast are themselves psychedelic therapists or those who aspire to be. And I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the skills that you get in psychedelic peer support, I think some of them are quite obvious to make you a better therapist, most especially this getting your ego out of the way, trusting the inner healer to work. I think that's so important. But some of the things that are valuable about this kind of work for those who aspire to be therapists themselves and who are on that track. So Adam, what's your experience been in terms of that trajectory? Because you've watched this happen a lot with psychedelic peer support. I see you nodding your head when I spoke of people who've gone on from Zendo to other roles. What have you seen and how is that kind of part of the Fireside Project's mission here to, to cultivate future leadership and future therapists and healers? Yeah, well, well, I look at any sort of peer support opportunity as a sort of entry point into deeper roles in whatever peer support that is because it's like a volunteer-based thing and you don't need all these credentials to access an opportunity to to volunteer as peer support. It is is very much a, a birthing ground or a jumping off point for a lot of folks who have like considered, um, I'd like to know more or, or, or work on supporting others. I don't know if I want to be a therapist or a social worker or something like that yet, but this might give me a little experience and also, you know, provide some aspect of self-growth on the way. So, I mean, the same goes for the crisis line I work with, uh, Whitebird, that a lot of folks started there as volunteers then they became hired on as staff, and then they went on to grad school to 
do social work or counseling in, in some way. And, and it just seems to be like one, one kind of entry point into these fields of, of these professions. So with Fireside specifically, um, yeah, we have people who are um, currently students or people who are considering going back to school. We, we want to create an opportunity to, to just bring anyone in who has a desire to do this work and also a capacity to learn how to do this work. And when I, when I say that, like, that's the ego thing. Some folks may come to it saying, oh, I know everything about everything and I'm going to guide this person to wherever. And to me, that's like a red flag. Like, oh, I don't know if we should have that person on the line. So, you know, there are, there's definitely qualities that we look for over credentials. How you are is more important than what you know is sort of the, the thing that I'm holding in my mind as I'm looking through applications or reading resumes and, and stuff like that or doing interviews. Like in some sense, the interview is a very telling moment on you know, how someone is. You know, do I sense a humbleness? Do I sense a groundedness from this person? And that's not to say that, you know, we don't, we don't also include people who have very high level educated, like degrees and stuff, but that we prioritize the beingness and then, oh, that's great that they also have these credentials too. Like that's an added bonus. Um, So yeah, that's kind of a bit about how Fireside can create a channel into more professional psychedelic work. So Fireside has been up and running for almost a month now. And I understand that you're collecting some data from the experience uh, that volunteers are having and that this may be helpful to those of us in the psychedelic space who are looking at like what's really going on on the ground. Can you tell me, Hanifa, a little bit about what you've learned in the first month or so of operation for Fireside? Yeah, um, well, I can. I, I do have some hard data from the the first eighteen days, and so I would love to to share a little bit about what we are noticing that's coming in. And so, what we do is, after someone has in, in, engaged with the line, so via, you know, if they've called or text, we do send a, po- a post survey to them, and so they can, you know, fill it out if they want or or, or not. And so far, I believe it's around like 24% or so of the folks who we've sent the surveys to have, have, have responded. And so within the first 18 days, you know, we received 175 calls. And so that's kind of putting us, if you think about it over the course of a year, somewhere between, you know, four and 7,000 calls if we stayed at that rate. We are having conversations with people over who are actively tripping. So of those calls, 30, 36 people were having psychedelic experiences. Um, we've had five conversations with people who were trip sitting. Um, 65 of those calls were integration conversations. And, you know, 49 people s- said that we, through the conversation or through the text, that we de-escalated them from psychological distress. And if you think of the numbers in total, you know, so 
our volunteers would be providing 11,000 hours of peer support in our first year. And so far, you know, at the 18-day mark, we had provided 768 hours of peer support. And, you know, we are not open 24-7 yet. And our, our goal is to is to be, but really our goal is to, to, to be open when people are actively calling. And so for this first year, you know, we're, we are looking at uh, the data when we aren't open, how many people are, are calling in or are interfacing with the line. And so we, we during off hours, we miss 362 interactions, which is quite significant. We are also, you know, trying to see like how useful, you know, is this as a tool of risk reduction? And so we had seven people indicate that they would have gone to the ER if it wasn't for calling into the Fireside Project. We had eight people indicate they would have called 911 if they had not called Fireside Project or texted in. And 21 people indicated that, again, our conversation or our text helped them ease psychological or, or physical harm. And we're also, you know, we're also getting in you know, people are sending in their written responses to, you know, how they've been impacted by the line as well. And all of that also supports the data that we're seeing. And so 87% of the people who responded to the post survey said that they would recommend Fireside Project to, to others, a psychedelic support line to others. Another 87% said that they felt heard and understood. And yeah, our response rate for the post surveys is about 20, 23%. So that's a little bit of our story in, in numbers, you know, 18 days in. And uh, we're excited to see, you know, what the, the first full month will be. But we think it's just super important to be able to reflect these things in numbers because we know that that's super important. I know that Joshua White, who's not on, the, on this call with us today, has worked deeply with USFC and the professors there. Dr. Joe Zamaria, who is on our advisory board, to, to develop this post-survey. They're actually going to be, we're going through the IRB process to have this be a part of a, a study so that these numbers can be shared with the, with the whole psychedelic community. Oh, wow. I had no idea. That's so, it's in, in this stage of the psychedelic movement, I think getting this kind of data is so enormously important. And when I hear about ER visits that didn't have to happen, that cops who didn't have to be called. I mean, it's it's really important work, and I think those numbers make it tangible. Are they available on the website? Are they? Can people kind of track what's going on over time? Not yet. We're trying to figure out the best way to, to share the data. It might be something that we put out once a month or that we do share sort of quarterly. So, um, yeah, we're trying to figure out the best way of how we want to, to share the findings. So you mentioned that people called the chat line instead of calling the police. And, you know, often calling the police in a psychedelic emergency can exactly escalate the emergency. And that's because a lot of police officers are not trained in responding to this kind of an emergency. And so it's, it, it's extraordinary that now we're starting to have an alternative when really people were like, oh, I can call, you know, call 911, but what do I do with that? So... Adam, I'm curious how the landscape has changed such that something like Fireside Project is even able to happen. Because, I mean, five, ten years ago, a psychedelic hotline, but aren't these 
illegal drugs that people are taking and then they call a hotline and someone helps them take their illegal drugs. I'm sure that there are people who um, are taking that perspective on this hotline. Where's the legality stand for something like this? And is that something that's changed to allow that to be possible now? So there's like two parts to this question that I think are important. The first part is societal acceptance and the reduction of stigma. And then the second part is the legal stuff. Like you said, five years ago, 10 years ago, I would say, you know, if we, like, if we go 10 years back, which was the year before the Zendo project started at Burning Man, so 2011, the word psychedelic harm reduction or risk reduction was not commonplace. You could bring that up to somebody and be like, what the heck are you talking about? You, you know, there, there, there just wasn't a conversation happening in many spheres. It may have been like, oh yeah, we know that we can like, you know, there were articles on Arrowhead about like what to do if someone's having a hard time or, you know, there were, there were places you could find the information, but there wasn't an umbrella term that was so commonplace, you know, fast forward to present day. And suddenly it's like, it's everywhere in the festival community, in the harm reduction communities, that it's become very normalized that psychedelics can produce hard experiences and there are ways to support people in them that doesn't involve calling the police. And by the way, sometimes working through them with proper support could lead to a beneficial transformative experience. So there's all these these, this messaging that we owe a lot of gratitude to MAPS, to Zendo, to Women's Visionary Congress, to those who have been at the forefront of spreading harm reduction information in such a way that it has become so, so accepted to the point at which we can say to the world, okay, you've, you've all seen harm reduction like that. We're going to do it like this. And we, we have, you know, kind of the the, the, the foundation already laid out to say, look, it works in person. It, there is data for that. They have been doing this. And we're going to take all we've learned there and make it even more accessible since during COVID, we're not really having in-person gatherings, you know, as, as, as a piece of that. But I think it's really important to, to, to notice and, and give our thanks to those who came before and paved a way to make the, the arena accepting of what we're offering here. Legality-wise, I mean, there's been a number of legislation recently to decriminalize psychedelics or decriminalize plant medicines. There, there's a lot going on right now to, to move us towards a direction of hopefully post-prohibition reality. And with that, we need proper safety systems in place because, you know, we can only move at the rate that we're moving at. Not everyone's going to have a guide. Not everybody's going to want a guide. You know, that there's nothing wrong with the fact that people are going to discover these things outside of a clinical setting. That's how we've all done it for millennia. And, and then gr- gratitude to the clinical settings, gratitude to the, to the formats that are being created to create safe uh, environments for healing and the ethical practitioners and all of them. In terms of our own stance as to like keep ourselves legally safe, this is why we actually don't currently give 
pre-trip advice. We don't have people call us to say, hey, I'm thinking of taking mushrooms. How much should I take? What should I do? You know, we, we don't do those calls yet because we, we'd be held liable for encouraging illegal activity. So, so we have certain things in place at this moment based on the legal scene that hopefully down the line as these become decriminalized or potentially legalized, we wouldn't have to have those same boundaries to keep ourselves protected. Because of course, like it's an important aspect of harm reduction to tell someone like, oh yeah, with this medicine, you need this kind of dosage and always think about set and setting. What's, you know, what's your intention? Like those, there, there are, there are coaches out there who coach people before an experience and after an experience integration wise. And that is a super important part of the whole thing. But we at Fireside can't participate in that pre-trip thing yet. Yeah. And I, I would also add, you know, if you call our line, which is 62 Fireside, by the way, come to the Fireside, 62 Fireside. If you call or text 62 Fireside, the first message that you're going to hear before you actually connect with one of the volunteers is that if you're experiencing a medical emergency, like call a doctor, you know, and, and if you are, are having, you know, if you're having an emergency that you need to, to call 911. So if you're having a medical emergency, please call 911. If you're seeking medical advice, like contact a medical professional or, or medical support. And so I just wanted to share that because it, it's just, it's just super important for people to understand that we are a peer support line, right? And so we we are we are here for emotional and psychological support. So think of us as just like calling a super friend. So we're we're here to to listen unconditionally. And if we feel like you are breaching uh, or feel like you you might be in danger to yourself or others, what would you do for your friend? You would say, hang up and call the police or call emergency services. It you know whatever that looks like. And so the same goes for what what we're up to when we. We absolutely hold people's safety at the highest on our list and definitely are not promoting ourselves in any way as a replacement to those services. So I just wanted to, to chime in with that. Yeah, I appreciate the comprehensive approach to the legal landscape and to safety and health. And also, Adam, I love what you said, too, about that gratitude of those who've gone before and kind of paved the way for this. And in many ways, you are going before those who will come after in terms of psychedelic healing and medicine. We're coming to the end of our time together, and the way that I typically end this show is offering guests an opportunity to speak directly to the aspiring psychedelic healers and practitioners who are listening to this podcast today. And I'm gathering that some of the folks listening who would like to some point be psychedelic therapists themselves may be giving you all a call perhaps even calling the hotline because they need to, but maybe calling to become volunteers themselves. So as we close today, I would love to give both of you the opportunity to speak directly to folks who aspire to work in the space of psychedelic healing, whether that is in, in peer support or as a therapist or healer sometime in the future. So what would you like to share with those folks? Yeah, thank you for the invitation. It's so, so sweet. I really appreciate it. I, I think what I would love to impart or share, encourage is one, to, to understand that that the, the realm and the, 
the direction that psychedelic wellness is going in, I feel is, you know, a, a, an essential return to centering these medicines. And even if they're derivatives of organic substances, centering these medicines in our society's wellness, in, in the society's wellness. I feel like we have strayed too far from honoring and centering these medicines for, for our own wellness. And I feel like the betterment of society, the, the healing of some of our core wounds as individuals and as larger communities can, can deeply rely on this cultivation of in, in good health with, with these medicines and with these plants. And so, so, so I would say thank you. Thank you for considering it. Thank you for, for forging into this return for, our, for all people. And to remember that, that you are one person and that you are a part of a larger network and system. To be mindful of the values that the systems you are going into uphold and to think of the future as you step into this work and to embrace the, the experiment of your work and to know that it will, things will probably change greatly in, in your lifetime as you hold this work. And that being in it now, coming into it now is such an honor and to continue to to network and communicate. Please let's not silo as we go into these fields, but let's actually like really, you know, like like the mycelial network, like really connect and power share across the system. Those are some things I would share. Beautiful. Adam, how about you? What would you like to share to our our listeners here today? Yeah, I think I'd just like to say, you know, for those of you interested in in becoming psychedelic healers, space holders, therapists, that that I I think it's important to emphasize self-work. It's important to really, really keep keep your ego in check. Always show up as a student, a learner remembering that that there's something bigger happening here and you know and however that that self-work shows up in your life keep going with it find opportunities to be around elders elders who have a lot of experience with these things who you trust and then, and then I've got a book to recommend. I consider it the the Bible of of supporting others in spiritual emergencies. It's a book called The Stormy Search for the Self. It's by Stan and Christina Groff. It's a just a a wonderful book that lays out not just the basic theory behind it all, but also practical tools. Uh, for supporting others. And it also has a section that speaks to someone who might be currently going through one. So yeah, Stormy Search for the Self, Stan and Christina Groff is a great place to start. And 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 then I have just appreciation and gratitude for for you listeners who are devoting yourself to such a path because it's a very sensitive and profound place to be, which is why it takes 
such high level of ethics and self-work. So yeah, keep, keep on keeping on with it. And, uh, maybe, maybe you'll apply to Fireside and we will see you there and be able to support you in your path. Well, let's talk about applying to Fireside because I'm sure that this is a this is a wonderful access point for people to get involved in the psychedelic space, to get involved in service and 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 healing for others in this egoless peer approach, which has greatly benefited my life through my work with Zendo, and I know many others have had that experience. How do people get involved, and how do people contact and connect with you? Absolutely, you can find us all over any social media platform. Instagram, we're there, Fireside Project. Twitter, we just joined TikTok, Facebook, LinkedIn. We're all we're there. Please follow us. Um, you can head to our website, which is firesideproject.org. And there you can apply to volunteer. We have a rolling basis volunteer application you can fill out. And we are constantly reviewing and in the process of really it's kind of a rolling process of how we're bringing folks on now. You can also at our website, sign up for our newsletter, which is an excellent way to stay up to speed about all things Fireside, our events, when things are rolling out, when we're starting different trainings and whatnot. So please sign up for that. You can also find out how to share the word about Fireside. So we cannot do what we do if people don't know about us. So there's a whole shareable download, Google Share Drive, where you can go and Download any of our flyers, our logo. Put put the put the, put our information at the bottom of your newsletters. Print print out the the things and post all over the place. Post the, the the flyers up on your your Instagram pages. Like please let people know we are here doing what we do. Our our website is a wonderful resource. Also for other resources, so we have a community a community page, resource page complete with some of, of Adam Rubin's manuals and whatnot. So please, please check out our website. And we, if you become a member of Fireside Project, which means that you are paying it forward and, in, and ensuring that the line stays free forever and that we are able to continue to support people's lives. If you become a member, you have access to our monthly membership meeting where you get to learn what's hot off the press with Fireside, any number of the founders are, are at those meetings. So please, please support our project. And, and then, yeah, if you are having a psychedelic experience where you want some witnessing, holding and support, 6-2 Fireside, give us, give us a call or send us a text. Beautiful. And just connecting with you all personally, Instagram, do you, do you, do you put, post some personal stuff? People follow you, follow your wisdom, follow your work? Yeah, I actively post on on Instagram. I am at the hands of Hanifa. My name is H A N I F A. You can find me on Instagram for sure. Yeah, and and pick up that third album, Mantras for the Revolution. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> and I I don't really do much social media posting, but if you wanted to connect individually, you can email me at adam at firesideproject.org. And definitely check out some of Adam's writing. So he's written for MAPS. He also wrote a series of zines, the It's Okay Psychedelic Harm Reduction Series. So 
There's a lot in your mind, sir, that we did not get into today in terms of some of the technicalities of harm reduction and all the work that you've done. So I recommend those zines and we'll have links to both of your work, both with Fireside and Beyond, in the show notes today. And wow, thank you so much for coming on the show, but more importantly, thank you so much for launching this project. I mean, just the fact that someone can be in that place that is so very alone, which is the difficult psychedelic experience. By its very nature, it is a dark night of the soul. By its, that's part of what makes it transformative. And then to be able to reach out as simply as a text message and have someone who has received 36 hours of training and ongoing community education and support from each other to know that there's going to be someone on the other line with that level of experience and that level of awareness of you and your potential wherever you're coming from. I mean, that's enormous. And I'm grateful to both of you and to everyone at Fireside for the work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Raven, for having us. It's been really amazing. Yeah, thank you. It's, yeah, it's really wonderful to be here. Thank you for joining us on the Psychedelic Therapy Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, please join the Psychedelic Therapy Facebook group to talk about it. You can also share it with your friends or leave a review on iTunes so more people can discover the show. The Psychedelic Therapy Podcast is presented by Maya, a platform designed to help psychedelic therapists manage and measure client journeys. You can head to mayahealth.com to learn more. The show is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide mental health or medical advice. Thanks for listening.